Greetings, and welcome to the RPG Review Board Podcast. You're listening to Episode 6. In this episode, we join two of the judges in Chambers. Join us as we listen in to a conversation in progress, inspired by a recent visit to Gen Con, billed as the best four days in gaming, and the judges' experiences with mega games at conventions. Come now, the honorable representatives of the RPG Review Board. Hey guys, this is Nathan. I'm uh, here with Adam, and uh, we're discussing our experiences at Gen Con this year, in the year of 2021, and uh, some really cool games we took part in. So, hey Adam, how's it going? It's going great. Back to reality after Gen Con. Gen Con in person this year, which was exciting. Yeah, in 2020, we, Gen Con was entirely online, right? That's um, right. I did, I did a couple things online at that Gen Con just wasn't quite the same as as seeing everybody in person though yeah i gotta give uh the gen con uh organizers a lot of respect i think everybody followed the mass policy very well i felt very safe uh they they really did a good job with yeah. the distancing to the best they could and there were plenty of hand washing stations and felt very comfortable uh being in a sea of people they they did sell way fewer tickets on purpose for that for that reason yeah uh what was the attendance number something like thirty thousand. is that right yeah, what is that, half as usual? Yeah, which or is like than? half capacity, I think, because it's usually, I mean, they're usually breaking records, right? I think, I feel like 2019 was like 70, but I could be wrong. Don't quote me. Yeah. Don't at me either. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah, they, they sold fewer tickets. Um, they rigorously enforced the mask, mask policy, which was nice. And honestly, I didn't even see anybody really given much of a fuss over it everybody was pretty respectful about it so i was pretty happy with that so. yeah yeah agreed and i'm not gonna lie the dealer hall was a lot nicer at half capacity as well so <laughs> it really was you know we were missing some big names from the dealer hall we didn't have paisa we didn't have uh wizards of the coast um who else did we not have? Fantasy Flight was not there. Yeah. So those are some big names, and those those booths tend to tend to take up a you know a city block within yeah. <laughs> within the dealer hall. Yeah, if yeah, if you've never been to the Indianapolis Convention Center, that that hall they use for the dealer hall is massive, and uh, yeah, those big names they they take up a lot of space in it. It's they're they're the the uh, the eight hundred pound gorillas in the room that everybody else just kind of swims around. But it was it was easy to get around, even around those with bulky costumes, and uh, kind of relaxing. I gotta say, it was kind of a nice experience with fewer people. Yeah, it was it was very low key, you know. I mean, not that not that uh, I'll be disappointed when things are fully back to normal and we start setting records again, because I love board games, I love role playing games, and I I want Gen Con to survive for many 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 years. Um, and part of that is having strong attendance, but yeah, you know, this, uh, was kind of a nice change of pace. It was, uh, it was a nice, like very low key feeling. Uh, it's, it's weird to even say like 30,000 people is low key, but it really was kind of a low key event. So, yeah. And for anybody who's been to other conventions where that, that 30,000 number is high for some of those other conventions and Gen Con tends to be the big draw. We're fortunate in that it's in our backyard in a lot of, in a lot of respects, I'm actually able to drive home every night and sleep in my own bed. So that's pretty rare for folks who attend Gen Con because 
It's in Indianapolis and, uh, you know, people fly in from all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it is not uncommon to meet people from Australia and from Germany and from all over the place that, uh, that come to Indianapolis, come to Indiana, which is not exactly the, uh, a hotbed for international tourism. I, I would, I would argue that one of the big reasons several years ago, our airport got a big overhaul and is actually really great with throughput now is Gen Con. <laughs> That's probably a big reason for it. I bet. I bet. And, and you know, the city has to enjoy it as well because it brings a ton of revenue to, to Indianapolis. I think I saw an, a news article that, that quoted some obscene number that it, you know, it brings, you know, X millions of, of dollars of revenue to the city just by virtue of the city's population goes up by 70,000 for four days and people, you know, they're going to be eating out at restaurants and, and buying things and paying sales tax on stuff. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, we had a blast at Gen Con this year. Uh, we, we played some games, some of which were mega games, which is part of the things that we're going to talk about today. So what mega games do you have in your resume, Nathan? What mega games have you played? Yeah. So, um, I'm fairly new to mega games just in the last couple of years here. So I have played, uh, let's see, I played my first mega game in 2019 at Gen Con and it was Den of Wolves. And I had a ton of fun, and I imagine we're going to be talking about Den of Wolves quite a bit. Um, yeah. Uh, it is kind of the crown jewel in the Mega Game Coalition's set of Mega Games. In 2020, the uh, the year of the online virtual Gen Con due to COVID, I played Draft Night 3077, which was an interesting Mega Game that kind of lent itself pretty well to the online format. And then uh, this year, I played Den of Wolves again, because if you have an opportunity to play Den of Wolves, you absolutely should, as well as a newish one called As Thou Commands. Yes, and so mine overlaps as well. My resume is this year only, so I played Den of Wolves and I played As Thou Commands. Yeah. So I I observed uh, the Draft Night 3077 game that you played um, in 2020, and that looked like a lot of fun. It was very sports ball-y, but it was still very RPG-ish in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, that one, uh, you and three presumably friends, but you could be paired up with with other people if if you don't have a group. You take over the management of a ball team, trying to remember what they called the sport, but it was something very generic. So you don't really know, is it, is it baseball? Is it, is it football? Is it basketball? Not really sure, but it's some ball, ball club and you play as the owner, the general manager, um, the VP and the saber of the team, the saber being the saber metric. Uh, So that's a term that baseball fans would know basically the the movie Moneyball is is all about mm-hmm. sabermetrics and the birth of sabermetrics which is you know the advanced usage of statistics to help build your team and you basically go through a, a draft and then after the draft they simulate a season and see how well your team did that season but the entire game takes place on draft night hence the title so but yeah it was really fun Looking here at their website for Draft Night 3077, and it says, for the world's most popular and profitable sport. So it goes out of its yeah. way to not yeah, tell it's, you exactly what it's it is. Very, uh, yeah, it's very vague. And uh, 
and the the stats are all vague as well so it's you know it's the player's number of fingers and their their <laughs> uh their their hud operating system and things like that that you know like there there isn't anything useful like how fast they can run it's all these weird asinine <laughs> uh statistics that don't mean anything to us mere humans um but mean things to uh the players of this mystical future sport Right, from 1,050 years in the That's future. right, yeah, yeah. A little bit about mega games in general. Um, so if you've never been to a convention before, particularly Gen Con, the way it works is you buy a ticket uh, for your badge that gets you in the door, and there's a lot of fun things you can do with just that. Um, you can hit the dealer hall. You can go see all the cool stuff there is to see. You can see new games. You can even demo games uh that are established as well as games that are new and burgeoning and not even released yet. But we're talking about mega games and other ticketed events. So we did buy tickets for these mega games. Let's see. It looks like the Den of Wolves game is a six hour session. That's a $46 ticket. And the As Thou Commands is a four hour slot for a $24 ticket. So they are um, a big chunk of your day at a four day convention. Um, so it's worth planning around that. And I would, I would argue that you may want to bake in some free time afterwards to talk about it with other players and your group and everything. Cause we had just as much fun sort of just, uh, you know, decompressing afterwards as we did during during the games. And honestly, um, a good mega game is one of those experiences you'll just keep reliving over and over as well with your friends. You'll, you'll talk about that one time that you, that you pulled some sort of interesting political maneuver or whatever on somebody else. And, uh, yeah, you'll be talking about it, but yeah, definitely right after the event. Yeah. Your brain's going to be on fire. You're just want to going to want to get out all of the things that you've just experienced with your friends, because one of the things that, I think really sets apart the mega game experience from, from other games is the, the asynchronous nature of it. Like my game, we, so we played in the same den of wolves game. My game was incredibly different from your game, right? Uh, Absolutely. And so, so we spent the next hour after the game going over stuff and saying like, you know, what were you thinking when this happened and what were you thinking when this happened? And it is just so much fun to, uh, to do kind of your, your Monday morning quarterback of the event at the end of it. Well, let's talk about uh, one of these then. So starting with Den of Wolves, we signed up for this one. Of course, it was highly recommended because you guys had played it at a previous convention. It was my first time. And it's one of those sort of hidden trader type things of which amongst the, say, 60 some odd folks that are playing the game, your group is how many did we have? Four? Four yeah, people four on people. our ship? Yep. In our in our little group. And, and so, you know, we had a group of four, which was a group of, you know, many groups of four amongst the 60 some odd folks that are that are playing the game and amongst those are a handful of traders do you recall how many traders we actually ended up having in our game i want to say at the end we ended up with something like what like four at the end but i think only two of them were traders at the start of the game yeah, I think you're right, and it's, it sounds like a small number, but their ability to sow, sort of sow seeds of discord is is very high. So. Yeah, and they're usually placed really well within the fleet, So, um, which I guess kind of brings up like what the plot of this game is, right? It's totally not Battlestar Galactica. Um, yep, exactly. Uh, but but it's uh, you know humanity is attacked by by an element of the human race in this case called the wolves. 
and humanity is wiped out all except for some survivors on a fleet of ships and you are trying to find home you're trying to go somewhere else to get away from the wolves and the wolves are of course harrying you and chasing you the entire time and uh uh, they are similar but legally distinct from Cylons in that way. Exactly. And so there are some wolves amongst your your fleet, and they are usually really well placed. So uh, the logistics officer of like the main, similar to but legally distinct from the Bla- Battlestar Galactica, the uh, logistics officer of that ship, the Aegis, uh, was a wolf. And the vice president, I believe, was a wolf. Um, we th- I, we thought he was. He he ended up not being. But that oh, was just that's right. I didn't that's right. know what I was doing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. But yeah, the uh, point is, is that they are usually really highly placed and placed in ways that can do serious damage to the fleet. So yeah, they are not to be underestimated. So of course, it's their goal to bring about ruin to the fleet, and it's the fleet's collective goal to survive and make it to safety but um there are plenty of obstacles in the way between you and victory yes and much like battlestar galactica uh, both the series and the board game every decision that you're put in that that's handed to you is terrible and so you're trying to choose the least terrible uh, option that uh, doesn't screw you over and it it always gives you a little bit of pause to see, well, why did you choose that? You know, that sounds like a terrible plan. Well, both both options were terrible, or all three options were terrible. And so you begin to start to distrust people who you previously trusted. And so that sort of brings us to some of those different roles. Can you talk a little bit about what you did during our Den of Wolves game? What was your role? Yeah, so um, in our game, as well as the game that I played in 2019, I was the chief engineer of our ship. So in this this year, in 2021, our ship was the Lucas. Um, so as part of the game, there are, what, a dozen different ships, something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, they all fulfill some sort of role within the fleet. The Lucas is the primary water generator of the, of the fleet. So it synthesizes water through some fancy sci-fi method so so yeah you you make a ton of water that is that is your shtick that is the thing that lucas does as the chief engineer my job was essentially to run the systems of the ship so i have x number of crew they can man x number of stations do i think we're gonna jump this turn if we're gonna jump this turn i need to use one of those crew members on my ftl drive but if we're not gonna jump this turn wasting them there would be bad so i might instead want to send them to a water collector to increase our water generation because ultimately we'll generate way more water than we need but the point is is that we then ship that water across the fleet to help you know keep everybody else in water so that everybody else's crews uh, are happy the the fun of that comes from all of those little decisions i mean every single little decision has a ramification that ripples out to the fleet right so if i'm not generating enough water then people are going to notice somewhere else when they don't get the water they need and their morale goes down over time because they're they're not drinking enough water um yeah so it, it gets real interesting real fast yeah, one of the decisions you're forced to make as the engineer is also, like you mentioned, preparing to jump, and that uses a resource we don't produce, right? So in the same way they're reliant upon the water that you're creating on other ships, you're also in turn reliant upon the material necessary for, for making the FTL jump. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So there's another ship out there that's mining the resources and then someplace else that's refining it into the material used to jump and all these trickle down and food required to feed. Yeah, we've got plenty of water, but we need food as well. So uh, very quickly, you end up in this weird sort of like sort of barter society right it's uh we have water and you have a thing we need can we trade for that and and hopefully if things go really well a system kind of gets set up that kind of you know handles that but but it but it um kind of starts off as this weird like like well what can you do for me and what can i do for you sort of situation that hopefully as time progresses as you play the game kind of smooths itself out as the various captains talk to each other and make deals and things like that and kind of smooths over some of the ruffled feathers but yeah it's it can be very stressful because uh it seems like you generate a ton of water when you take your turn i flip over you know four or five crewmen and I make, you know, I go over the table and I'm coming back with a handful of water tokens, like 30 some odd water tokens. Like I'm swimming in water. I can fill swimming pools with water and then it's gone. (laughs) Just it's gone because there's a dozen ships that need that water. So, yeah. Yeah. And meanwhile, while you're doing all of this, you know, the other players are, are, are doing their thing. My thing was I was a council member. And so I had to, for half of the game, I was away at council meetings and those council meetings were enacting laws and talking about sort of the goings on. And we were, of course, because it's politics, we were brokering deals as well, knowing the whole time that there could be wolves among us in council or back on our ships or other ships. And so we're making uh, decisions and laws for the entire fleet. And really, there aren't a whole lot of guide rails for how to create uh, these laws. So things like, gosh, it would be nice to know how much extra food the food producing ships have or how much extra water the water producing ships have. Well, we may make a law that says you have to make it transparent. You can't hide your resources. And that was one of the laws that we did We did enact. And I kind of voted against it. <laughs> and it kind of made uh-huh. me look bad because because we had a resource that didn't need refined, right? It was We created it and we were in charge of distributing it. And uh, we didn't want everybody knowing our, our business because that was leverage. Yeah. So it was really interesting. Yeah. And one of the things that happens is I generate, you know, 40 some odd water tokens and they're sitting in our cargo hold, which by the way, the ship is just a big kind of poster board thing that's sitting on the table in front of you. So each table is a different ship. And so I put all these water tokens in my cargo hold and then anybody that walks by goes, Hey, you guys have so much water. Can, can we have like eight of those? You go, no, I can't give the eight of them to you. I have to, I have to water the entire fleet, you know, and then they get Mm -hmm. kind of mad because it looks like you're getting stingy with them when you're really not you're just trying to like manage you're just trying to manage this what looks like an abundant resource but is actually very very limited and so so one of the ways we combat that is we would just hide how much water we had <laughs> so that no one could walk by and go oh look at how much water you guys have so that was that was an interesting bit that yeah we were very happy you were opposing for us in council so yeah it didn't didn't make me look great at council but i did try to plead my case as i did every time of course um it ended up being spoiler alert neither of us were traitors nor was anyone else on our ship but there were some decisions that were made that made me wonder, right? And I had to remember, of course, to be conservative with what I shared. The other sort of complicating factor was that there was also press. There were members of the press who were not necessarily on a ship per se, but after every round, of which I believe we had eight rounds, mm-hmm. uh, seven or eight rounds, something like and that, they yeah. would they would give a press conference and they would spin information. Maybe they were 
they could have been wolves as well, spinning sort of the stories that they either observed in council or or saw deals happening between other ships. They just wandered around and they were sort of this ever present sort of <laughs> sort of uh, entity that was just like one extra thing you had to keep track of and how that your story got spun after yeah, that. Yeah, and that was really interesting too because I mean it, there were there were just situations where you know I'm in this kind of heated discussion with somebody from another ship or whatever. And then I just noticed this guy kind of floating over here and you go, Oh no, the press is here. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you have that, that reaction that every politician has had at some point in time in their life. Oh no, the press is here. Uh, <laughs> and mm-hmm. you know, well, listen, it wasn't as bad as it seemed. We're just having a disagreement, man. This is off the record, right? Yeah. There was one case where uh, I had a particular vote. Uh, that I voted against and the press said, can I see you after the council meeting? And I said, sure. And they just asked some clarifying questions. And of course, at the end of that press conference or that little uh, individual one-on-one I had with that member of the press, I said, but of course you can't, you can't trust them because there could be a wolf in the council. And of course, oh, that's yeah. something he said out loud uh-huh. when he did his press conference. It was like, and of course, the council member from the Lucas mentions that there could be. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> that's, not ex- that's not exactly how it went down. But of yeah. course, I had to, yeah. you know, then back when I got back to council, when I got back to D.C., you know, the old council member had to speak to that when it came up at the council meeting. Yeah. So so one of the things I wanted to kind of talk about, too, is, you know, you mentioned you know, we have the press, we have you over there at the, at the council table, just the, um, the way the game is set up was we play these rounds and around lasts what, 30 minutes, I think. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Something like that. goes so fast. And, and it seems like, is it 30 minutes or is it 40? Yeah. It might be 30 because it's 15 and 15 per when you're at your ship versus when you're at council. It feels like when you start, especially maybe that first turn or two, that you have all the time in the world, right? I'm looking at my board of units and I've got like six crew members and it's like, I have 30 minutes to decide to do it with six crew members. But then things start happening, right? You start brokering deals with other ships and you end up talking to other ships, you travel. When you want to transfer resources between ships, you have to bring a cargo shuttle, which is like one of those little plastic like pencil cases that you would keep your pencils in in grade school. Right. Um, and you bring it over, you open it up, you put the resources into it, you close it, you walk it over to the other table, you open it up, and you deliver it to them. You're not allowed to transfer resources without a shuttle, and there's a limited number of those in the fleet. So you have to, like, flag down somebody. Now, we were lucky enough to have our own. We were, we were like, one of the, the, the lucky uh, ships that had their own shuttle. But if you're not one of the lucky ships with your own shuttle, you have to flag somebody down that does have one and kind of beg them to ship your goods for you, which usually they will because, you know, people need these resources, but still it's just one, just one more layer of, of tax on your brain while you're, while you're going through this 30 minutes of round. Uh, part of that round is like eight minutes, eight to 10 minutes of that round is devoted to team time where you have to return to your ship. You sit down and you do nothing but just discuss strategy with your team. And again, at the first round, it feels like, man, 10 minutes to just sit here and be like, what'd you do this turn? What'd you do this turn? But when that game gets going and you start slinging deals and stuff starts happening at council and and the news reports start happening and and things are going on in the fleet, that eight minutes just does not feel feel like enough to to discuss with your team like your strategy for the next round. 
Absolutely. So, so that round is, you know, you have your essentially 20 minutes of, of doing stuff. Council members go off and they meet with the council. And then meanwhile, um, your, your ship is being run by the, the remaining three of you. And then you have this eight minutes or so, eight to 10 minutes of, you know, meet back up, talk about, you know, what's going on. And then the end of the round, the newscasters give their report. Usually there's some sort of fleet wide adjustment from the game masters. Like everybody's morale goes down by one because of the recent events going on or whatever. So, and then you have some like between round actions to take like rolling for the morale of your crew and things like that but and then you start a new round and it's just all over again and it's just it is it starts off slow but very very quickly in the first couple rounds it becomes a breakneck pace yeah it is uh it feels very exhausting in the best of ways when that six hours is up or so and you're sort of talking about everything that's going on because while you're playing a resource management and worker placement sort of uh, board game, I'm doing a negotiation and politics game and our first officer is doing a logistics and a pickup and deliver game. Meanwhile, we're all sort of playing and LARPing this hidden trader game on top of everything else and everybody, all 60 people are all doing that all at once. Yeah, yeah. You walk around with a badge that says what ship you are and what position you are on that ship, right? So when I walk up to a table they can see immediately okay this is the chief engineer from the lucas and so they know that i'm like i'm the water guy i'm the water buffalo uh mm-hmm. come to me with their water problems right um yeah. I, we should also talk about the other two roles that are that are in the game as well we've talked primarily about the counselor and the chief engineer because those are the roles that we played but your ship also has a captain and a first officer the first officer is responsible for le- logistics ship security as well as combat so whenever the wolves attack the first officers report to the big war table in the center of the room and they resolve combat and they bring the units from their ship to the fight and if your ship is boarded they're responsible for uh leading shipboard security against against the boarding uh cylons i mean wolves and then you have the captain and the captain on paper has like the fewest responsibilities but that's also kind of sort of true of real captains as well right they don't get chores they're just responsible for everything so Mm -hmm. um the captain is there to be kind of the single brain that's kind of collecting all this information and bringing it together and formulating a strategy and kind of bossing around the the chief engineer and the first officer. Meanwhile, while they're doing that stuff, he's going over to this other ship and talking to the captain of that ship and kind of rubbing elbows and making deals and, and, and that sort of thing and coming up with plans of their own. Yeah. Yeah. The captain's role definitely helped you as the engineer and, and the first officer as well. But he also very much helped me because while I'm at council, I need to have him data gathering from my next council session as well. So, so he's, he's doing a lot of legwork there as well. So yeah, everybody's playing a different game and asynchronous is the best way to describe it. Everybody's doing something a little different and the way it all comes together is very, very satisfactory. So worth the money, I would say. Uh, every time yeah it is it is so much fun it is hard to overstate how much fun it is i really enjoy it and here's the thing like me i'm i'm a non-confrontational person by nature so the the political game of the counselor or or the uh or even the captain probably not really my jam 
but the best part about this game is that because of its asynchronous nature, there are roles for you to play. The Chief Engineer, because it's largely a worker placement game and kind of logistical game, like that's right up my alley and I really enjoy it. Meanwhile, you know, we have a we have um a a friend in common who played as our our captain right and the political nature of the captain position is right up his alley right he loves that stuff so Mm -hmm. um, everybody gets to play the game that they want to play which is really fun yes yeah and uh really definitely enjoyed it we should devote some time as well to the other mega game that we played that's right yeah yeah den of wolves is so much fun it's easy to talk about it for just hours Um, it is yes we did play as thou commands this year as well yeah i was looking up um some information about it in advance of our recording and as thou commands the 2021 session that we played was the first in-person run of as thou commands they had play tested it online several times and i thought it went pretty well yeah Um, it was a shorter time slot and it had a different vibe it was sort of a fantasy take on um, a very similar theme in the sense that you're each playing sort of a different role and you had somebody who would go to a council meeting. You had somebody who was sort of running your fiefdom, I guess. Uh, duchy, I think, is what they, duchy. Okay. they called it, right? Yeah, uh, yeah it's... Uh, they, they ran two flavors of it. They ran, they ran like a fantasy version of the game and they ran a more historic like not actually historic, but basically a game without magic as well. We played in the game with magic. So the more fantastical of the two. And yeah, so at the start of the game, you pick a table and each table is its own duchy and each table, uh, everybody there is a Lord of some kind and you pick a person at the table to be the Duke of that duchy. And then, you know, everybody has their own, their own Duke and all of the Dukes or, or duchesses, come together to uh, form the the king's council essentially and to pass laws and and uh, broker deals and the likes and that one also had some currency as well not maybe as many varieties of currency in den of wolves you have you know your your fuel and your food and your water and all these different things there was really i think there was wealth and there was influence right yeah and uh and you generated influence by having various for lack of a better term attributes in your particular wedge of your duchy um so for example i had vineyards in mine it could just as all easily also be mountains it could also be a circus you know, just like something in your lands that kind of sets it apart from the others. And then you want to go and broker deals with other lords and link your various attributes together in some sort of either sympathetic or non-sympathetic. What's the opposite of sympathetic? Competing, maybe? Yeah, there we go. So either some sort of sympathetic or competing way. And then, based on various things that may happen to yours or their attributes, um, you generate or lose influence accordingly yeah and and uh those attributes were were physically represented by a note card on a big piece of butcher block paper and you were physically drawing lines to establish relationships some of those lines may even go off your page with an arrow indicating the name of of the duchy that your you know resources connected to at other at other duchies which i thought was really interesting and so at the end of each round there'd be an event much like with den of wolves there'd be something that says hey, here's the things that happened in between rounds. And some of those would affect those different attributes. And for anybody who's ever played like the Fate 
RPG where you have these aspects that you can sort of invoke. It's very similar in the sense that like, if it makes sense story-wise, you'll tell the game master who makes his rounds and say, I chose to use, you know, my circus, for example, to increase influence with this other duchy who has monkeys and we don't have monkeys in our circus. So now we do. And now we've increased our relationship with that duchy and therefore increased our influence with them. Yeah, I ended up establishing a link between my vineyards and a church, right? Because they're going to need sacramental wine. Why not? Uh, That's right. And and so, so yeah, when something good happens to, to that church, uh, then I also get some sort of benefit from it. Uh, the other thing that was kind of neat that was going on was um, every round we had some sort of event, right? Where mm-hmm. uh, one or more events where uh, one of the game master would come by and uh, read from a slip of paper or a card or whatnot and say, peasants have decided that, uh, you know, a a sect of peasants have decided they're going to break off and create a small province of self-governance. Do you, A, you know, send in the army to put down the the rebellion, B, let them do their thing and uh, maybe they'll fail on their own and come crawling back, or C, encourage this new, uh, this new type of government and as our own little kind of privy council to our duke right we would we would vote with our influence and uh try to sway the decision and then based on whatever we came up with the game master would say okay well this is what you guys did uh these guys don't like it so that particular attribute is negatively affected that particular attribute is positively affected etc so that's what ends up kind of fueling the game where you're getting influence and and the likes from things happening to attributes because of decisions that you've made or that they've made in that other duchy because in that other duchy i'm linked up with that church so they did something that that church really liked so i got to benefit from it what is the name of that of that game where you're you're picking between two two choices uh it's a pixel art you have the board game version oh oh no Reigns. Reigns. That's what Rains, it's called. Reigns. Yep. Reigns yeah. as in R-E-I-G-N-S. Reigns. That's right. So very much like Reigns in the sense that you're making a choice based on this sort of event that happens. But um, the complexity also in between and the actual meat of the turn is establishing these other relationships which give you, which give you your influence and wealth. A lot like Reigns. And in fact, for those of you who love board games, um, what's the name of the board game that it's like? Uh, King's Dilemma, maybe? King's Dilemma is yeah. the one I'm thinking of, yes. So there's a lot of uh, complexity in that one as well, where you're playing sort of a feudal house and, and making the best decisions. That's great. Ask me more questions about games. Yeah, well, you got them both right, so you passed my <laughs> test. Yeah, uh, yeah. It is uh, it is an interesting concept, and I think it has a lot of potential. I do think that, you know, we mentioned that this was the first in-person run of As Thou Commands. There are definitely some rough edges on it and some things that I think could be improved. Of the two experiences, I think Den of Wolves was by far the superior. But I think, as one of the game masters said to us, Den of Wolves is the one that they want them all to be. They all they want all of their mega games to kind of achieve the the well-polished and uh, formidable nature that, that Den of Wolves has. I mean, for a first run-through, it was pretty solid. It was, and the Mega Games Coalition does a great job with Den of Wolves as well as As Thou Commands. There's another one that they have called Sickle, which is uh, based on the board game Scythe, and that one I hear is also very good. 
Um, but yeah, so As Thou Commands was the first sort of in-person play. I'm glad that we played it, and I think it does have a lot of potential. I would encourage people to give it a shot. I would say that with Den of Wolves, you kind of feel like, what is your win condition? Well, if you're a human, you want to live, and you want your you know, the, the humans to prosper. If you're a wolf, you want to try to sow as much discord as possible. And But, you know, with As Thou Commands, I don't really remember how I felt about, like, winning or felt like I lost or not, but gosh, it was a great story. That one has felt most like a role-playing game than, yeah. than Den of Wolves did. And it's for that reason, I think one of the things they really missed out on, in my opinion, well, this is of course my opinion, but hey, I'm part of an RPG review board, so I'm allowed to review RPGs, and this is kind of like one. I'm licensed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think one of the things they're missing is the thing from Den of Wolves, which is essentially the media, right? Um, one of the natures of these games is that, you know, this is a mega game. So you're talking like you've got 40 to 60 players in this room, right? There's, Mm -hmm. you, you know, what's going on in your corner of the world, but you don't know everything that's going on. There's plenty of secrets out there. There's plenty of not secrets out there that you just haven't heard because they're happening literally across the room from you. So Mm -hmm. I think what they, one of the things that would really help is having, you know, a series of heralds, right? Uh, people to yep. go around to each duchy and go, hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. The duchy of whatever has decreed that uh, all foreigners are welcome or whatever, right? Um, mm-hmm. So to just help kind of build the world that you're that you're playing in, um, I think that's that's in my opinion that's one of the things I was missing was I didn't really feel quite immersed enough to to really get my RPG brain going yep yep heralds or town criers or something to sort of fill you in because i felt very disconnected from some of the other tables or the other duchies uh we we because the way the nature of the turns we we interacted a little bit with the ones that were sort of nearby but once we sort of saw what they had we knew who we were talking to and it'd be interesting to have something like that to say oh that piques my interest and maybe i'll go talk to this other duchy that i maybe otherwise would not have done yeah yeah absolutely mm-hmm. Yes, but uh, there was no hidden traitor per se in As Thou Commands, but sort of each duchy had its own plan. I will also mention that there were plenty of traitors. It's just that there wasn't there, there wasn't a a codified hidden traitor like there is in Den of Wolves. I think we we sat through what like eight assassination attempts during the uh, the end of game wrap up. Yes, it was a series of dominoes that I did not anticipate. People were planning on making a uh, a water park and a circus. Meanwhile, there were these machinations happening where this person backstabbed this person, and it was like six in a row. But this person knew that they were getting backstabbed, so they front stabbed the other person, and it was it was crazy. And I had no idea that any of it was happening. So that's kind of one of those things where now, granted. A town crier isn't going to come by and be like, the Lord uh, Margrave is attempting to assassinate so-and-so. Like, that's not a thing that a town crier is going to say. But still, like, you know, hearing the rumblings of of, uh, distrust or the rumblings of of mutiny uh, from other duchies would have been kind of fun. Um, And I just kind of feel like I missed out on some of it. Yeah, and uh, at the end of that four-hour slot, they did do, as Nate mentioned, like this big sort of like recap of the highlights of these events. So you spend several turns trying to make this cool thing happen, and if and when it does, it makes the highlight reel at the end, and you get a chance to talk about it as a group. And uh, it really was very interesting, and I felt like it did sort of scratch an RPG itch, but yeah, there were some aspects there where you could tell it was um, new 
to hitting the table with so many players in the physical form, but I still loved it and it was worth every penny. Yeah. And I think as they play it, you know, they'll, they'll refine it and they'll, they'll figure things out, you know, figure out balancing issues and they'll figure out how to more efficiently do things. And it's kind of one of those things where like, once they get the right rules in place, then you won't have to think about so much the mechanics of the game and you'll be your your brain will be liberated to do a bit more of that role playing, right? You could do a ton of sort of this role playing slash LARPing in in Den of Wolves because everything's so well codified that you know how much a single unit of water is worth because you can see on your board uh, the, the morale rules that are based on how much water and food you have. Right. So, you know, with all that stuff codified kind of leaves you room to, to do the RP part of it. And I think that is probably, uh, one of the ways that as thou commands will improve in the future is that those things will become more polished and such. And so you'll have a bit more time to be, you know, the flamboyant Duke of West Ham and, uh, and you can, go and try and broker deals with other people because you'll have more, you know, the more things that end up getting codified, the more leverage you'll have and the more, more currency you'll have to work with. It just wasn't, wasn't quite there this time. Yeah. And you'll have more, more trust in the game mechanics to be able to focus on that sort of uh, fluff that makes the game different every time. And one thing we may not have mentioned yet about Den of Wolves is that it is a a sort of a story that continues. Each session is a year or some unit of time. The events that took place in the 2021 Gen Con will inform the play for subsequent plays, right? Yeah, so um, a lot of these games have some sort of uh, kind of legacy sort of component to them, right? Draft Night 3077 that we kind of mentioned at the top that I played in the year of the COVID, that very much has that sort of legacy um, appeal to it. Our particular team, however well we did, that's going to kind of position them the next season. You know, they're going to have more money next season because they did well, or they're going to have less money because they did poorly. And that money is going to inform their marketing budget and their, their, uh, salary cap for their, for their coach mm-hmm. and all this stuff. Right. Yeah. These games oftentimes have a legacy component and that's really fun to consider that, you know, something that you did will affect games in the future. That's pretty fun. Yep. And what little I know about sports, they're going to have more money, but they're going to draft later because they're already pretty good. So yeah, uh, all of that sort of plays into the theme and, and they do a really good job with that one. And from what I observed, draft night seemed like it was a pretty good one as well. It was hard to coordinate because it was all virtual. And I think you did most of that coordinating through disc, a discord channel. Is that yeah, right? we used discord and they had a discord bot program to actually like call the draft, uh, which was pretty cool. It was a nice uh, little piece of technology helping facilitate that. Well, believe it or not, Mega Games was not the only thing that we did while we were at Gen Con this year. Wait, hold on a minute. Um, it, it isn't? Yeah, it isn't. So I recall we played also a couple of board games, including some from the sort of uh, unreleased board games. Yeah. Uh, there was a room of people who were demoing games that were sort of s- still in development, which I thought was a really cool thing to be able to do. Those tickets happen to be free this year. They aren't always free. Check local listings. But that was a really cool thing too as well. So if you're interested in board games or role-playing games, check out something like that because it gives you an opportunity to see and even give input to something that's sort of still in development. Yeah. It's always fun to be on the ground floor. Yeah, that, that, that can be really fun, right? When you play a game and you go, man, I really wish this rule was this way. 
and the person running the game goes, well, there's no reason it can't. We'll try it. Yeah, let's try it a couple turns with that rule, and I'll make some notes. And it's always cool to be able to give feedback. And Yeah. That was a, an interesting thing. There was a, an event that was missing this year that we always like to attend, which is Games on Demand, which focuses a little bit more on the role-playing game aspect. Yeah. They weren't there this year, which was bummer. They couldn't get it done. I saw a couple of posts on some message boards saying that they were going to be unable to attend just because of COVID and travel and whatnot. But that's also an opportunity to play um, some smaller print RPGs or even some RPGs that are still in development as well. And they are coordinated by Games on Demand who help these smaller publishers get their games out in front of people. Yeah, that is a ton of fun. We spent hours there in 2019 price is right um at least in 2019 a ticket a generic ticket got you two hours worth of time and a generic tickets two dollars so it's a dollar an hour that's that's pretty good entertainment value for uh for the money as well as the fact that as you said uh these are either fairly new and small games or maybe they're even games in development at least in the time that i've spent in that room doing games on demand i'm fairly certain and i can't think of a contradiction in my head right now but i'm fairly certain that every game i've played in that room the person running the game either was the game designer or was a critical component of developing the game yep yeah, same experience here. Yeah. And and that's just a lot of fun. Yeah, you can't beat that. And uh, even if you're not necessarily afforded the same opportunity to give feedback for the rules as you are with the other room that we were talking about, getting to experience some of those games that you wouldn't have otherwise been exposed to or even know what they're all about, play it. Spend two bucks. And uh, it's it's definitely worth your time. Well, the way that one works is that you sign up and you say, we are going to play a games on demand game. And then they call you up, they hand you a letter and they call you up by letter or number or whatever. And uh, you, with the rest of your group, pick whatever's available. And if you fill that, that table, they flip that sheet over and then the next group can just pick from whatever's left. So you kind of don't know what you're going to get, but you can sort of peruse what's available and see what interests you and prioritize them accordingly. And then you go in and you play an awesome game for a couple of hours. Yeah, and the one of the best parts about it is is that fact that you don't necessarily know what you're going to get, um, but whatever you do get, you're sitting down with your friends to play a game that's run by somebody who knows the game fairly intimately, given that they're writing rules for it. Yeah, it's it's a it's a lot of fun. I've definitely bought games that I've played at Games on Demand and uh, have definitely enjoyed it all of them. I don't know that I've ever had a disappointment in that room. Yeah, agreed. What else did we do at Gen Con? We ate a lot of food. We ate a lot of food. Oh, we man. tried to drink soda. Ah, oh, <laughs> that cup. That cup. Gen Con over the last 2019 and 2021 both have had this plastic cup that you could get cheaper refills with. And this year's cup thwarted me at every attempt to get a cheap refill with this cup. I spent money on this cup and I could not refill it in any of the places I tried to refill it. I went to all of the exact wrong places to refill it. It was my, it was my personal, it was my like own personal villain. It was my nemesis. It, it turned out that you could only refill it at one station and we were never by that station. Yeah. But it's a fun collectible and a, and a fun story. So um, real quick, uh, before we wrap up, let's talk about um, the dealer hall. Yeah, um, the dealer hall is oftentimes, you know, it, it's kind of 
I don't know, would you call it maybe the crown jewel in Gen Con? Yeah, a lot of people think so. Um, a lot of new releases, you'll say, oh, when's that coming out? Gen Con. That's when it's coming out. And so often you'll have people queuing up right at that door and they know exactly which booth they're going to hit because the dealer hall is what draws people in. Yeah, and it, it the dealer hall really does kind of overshadow the entire convention. It's just so large and has so many vendors in it that um, it's it's impossible impossible to even conceive of a gen con without one it is massive and there are so many people there and every time i go i end up spending way too much money on dice (laughs) there's no such thing i too bought dice i didn't spend quite as much but it does give you this feeling where of course you could buy a lot of these things almost all of these things anywhere else but because you bought it at gen con it gives it that extra special thing and if ever there was a time you were going to budget a little extra money in your gaming allowance, Gen Con's the time to do it. Yeah. Because you're there, you're excited about games, and if you're lucky, you'll get to play them right then. Find a pickup game in a hallway or an extra room that's not being used. Yeah. And uh, you might be able to play it right away. Yeah. Oftentimes, uh, there will be vendors there that are demoing their games right there in the dealer hall, so you can just step right up and talk to somebody and, and learn some of the rules of the game. And as you said, if, if the game exists then someone at Gen Con is playing it. You just got to find them. And it's really fun to be able to talk to the people who are enthusiastic about running their booth. Um, For example, we are currently playing a game that I probably wouldn't have picked up necessarily at Gen Con. I could have picked it up anytime, but Modern Age was on my radar, and I was inspired when I talked to the Green Ronin people. Um, It's been out for a little while, but as I was talking to them about my consideration of it um, and my plans to maybe pick it up and what it could do for me, which holes it could fill in my RPG arsenal... Uh, they convinced me, and I ended up buying three books of that <laughs> of it right there. Yeah, so. yeah. It, the The dealer hall has uh, there's a there's a certain feel to it. There's a certain kind of I don't know. It puts me in a certain mood, like I'm walking through a bazaar, or like I'm walking through some sort of like outdoor marketplace. Uh, it's very much not. It's very much in a convention hall, but it has that sort of feel, right? Where you know, there's the hustle and bustle, and everywhere you look, there's just something interesting to to go and and check out. Um, so that that thing you were mentioning earlier of I could have bought this RPG book online, I could have bought it at the local game store, I could have bought it wherever. The but but you saw it at Gen Con, and you walked up to the booth, and the guy at the booth talked to you about it and kind of convinced you to pick it up and maybe some others as well. And yeah. it and it does really give the entire experience a certain sort of uh rosy feeling knowing that you know you you picked it up at Gen Con. It's one of your Gen Con conquests. Exactly. Yep. And their enthusiasm is contagious as well if they're really excited about their product. And of course, we are absolute big proponents of buying things at your friendly local gaming store because we want those to continue to stay in business through all of this COVID. Thing. Oh, yeah. So spend money at your friendly local gaming store. Um, but yeah, Gen Con is, is a big deal and it's definitely where we plunk down a lot of our allowance for games. Yeah, Gen Con also often has panels and authors signing their books and authors talking on panels and people in the gaming community showing up to to have panels or exhibitions and, and things like that so the gen con as a convention does have kind of everything as this dealer hall it has things like mega games and games on demand and board games and card games i mean they run they run magic the gathering tournaments for 24 hours a day for the duration of gen con 
Uh, so you could go to Gen Con at three in the morning on Friday and you could sit down and play magic with somebody. I mean, it is, it is an experience. Gen Con is really cool. Yeah. And because it's such an experience, it also draws the people who design those games to be behind the booth. So if you're lucky and you're not catching them at their lunch break, you might even get your copy of that favorite board game signed by the designer or the artist or, you know, an editor or somebody who is intimately involved, which is also very cool. And uh, in addition to a lot of those panels, those there's also some other things um, from the Isle of Misfit games, and those include shows and movies. One of our favorites is Dungeon Master. So big shout out to the folks at Dungeon Master. I love they Dungeon put Master. On, oh, they put always put on a fantastic show, and it is just very loosely scripted ad-libbed uh, fantasy RPG that is sort of coordinated by a couple of actors and they pull up people out of the audience to sort of put them through a a fantasy rpg and it is a blast yeah it is a ton of fun i when i try to describe it to somebody who hasn't seen it before i i kind of describe it as as that game show whose line is it anyway but and instead of like individual skits it's a DD campaign so you have these improv actors essentially playing the parts of various npcs and kind of uh, encouraging the player characters who are people drawn from out of the audience and they're encouraging these guys to go through some sort of adventure and they have a lot of like wacky rules that make it kind of fun and make it audience participatory as well and it is it is just a great time i really enjoy them i think this year is probably the first year i've ever missed a dungeon master they usually put on several i made it to one or two of them this year but i don't think i made it to all three they did this year yeah man if you get a chance definitely attend at least one and do an early one because you may be inspired to see where the story goes through subsequent days events yeah yeah it's it's great fun and they work you can tell they they work really hard at it and it's a labor of love couldn't agree more it is a ton of fun. Yep. And those folks have a web presence as well. So check them out. Dungeon Master, they have a website and they also play live RPGs. They're a bunch of really funny and interesting, compelling characters. So what would you say was your highlight of Gen Con 2021? I mean, easily, easily Den of Wolves. I mean, yep. far and away Den of Wolves. I wish I had a different answer just so that I could be interesting. But the point is Den of Wolves was my A number one as well. It I'll really is that, that good. Forever. And, and people know it too. I mean, that we mentioned the ticket for Denables is $46 and it sold out within hours of tickets becoming available. It was, it sold out very quickly. And here we are months later, or for, for you who've played it before, a couple of years later, still talking about th those things. Oh yeah. So it's just a, an absolute, like watershed moment where you're like there was life before i played den of wolves and there's life after yeah it's it's a ton of fun i really enjoyed it i keep saying that it's a ton of fun but that's because i don't have words to describe how much i enjoy it well den of wolves was definitely the highlight i guess if i was being a little bit soft-hearted i would say getting getting an opportunity to really dive into my favorite hobby with my favorite people um i might say that's my favorite part because this is my big tent revival this is my church and every year when i go to Gen Con. I just love spending time with people I like. Spending time with you guys is like one of my favorite parts and being able to do that with gaming atmosphere for four days with no responsibilities is, is just it's just fantastic. Yeah, if my weekly game night with, with friends is church, then Gen Con is absolutely my pilgrimage. Um, it yeah. is a necessary part of my religion that is board games and, well, tabletop games, board games and RPGs, and it is a, it is a necessary uh, pilgrimage to take every year 
and I always feel so much better after having been, uh, except for the first couple days where my my mood is perhaps maybe a little more melancholic because Gen Con's over. But uh, yeah, once, once the melancholy subsides and uh, you get to think back on it with, with rose-tinted glasses, it's just, it's an experience like none other. If you have never been to Gen Con, I highly encourage you to go. The Gen Con subreddit, also shout out to them. Uh, they're really helpful, especially for new people that are wanting to go to Gen Con. So if you're wanting to go to Gen Con in the months leading up to Gen Con, the Gen Con subreddit is a wonderful place to go to just ask for advice and help. Yep. And for somebody who's been, you know, eight, 10 times, however many times I've been, my only advice would be give yourself plenty of time, sleep, eat, shower, be a human, and, and don't try to book yourself so solid and give, your chance, give yourself a chance to really enjoy the experience. Yeah, I'd try to maybe have a few things on your schedule each day, but, but you want to put nice big gutters of free time between them so that you have plenty of time to just walk around and just absorb the the fun that's happening all around you go and watch somebody play a game that you haven't seen before you know meet new people go to the dealer hall buy two hundred dollars worth of dice yep and if you do get a chance to talk to any of the rpg publishers that have a booth there ask them about their games grappling rules absolutely where we cut right i mean that has to be where the cut is <laughs> i'm so excited. i had no intention of doing that until i started talking and i was like oh <laughs> i mean that's gotta be where the cut is i was i was stunned to silence you stunned me <laughs>